you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Just two plus years you've been here, you have 261 career installs. You're ranked number one franchise rep in the company right now. Father of twins, Spanish speaker, world traveler. That's the man with three W's in his name, Mr. Weiler Whitwer. The WWW, <laughs> dude, the worldwide Whitwer. What's your favorite place you've ever traveled, Weiler? Uh, definitely New Zealand, as far as like a place that I would like to uh, continue to live. As you know, that's it's kind of an end goal for me. Um, but we just went to Dubai, took our kids, and that place is amazing. Dubai is like the kind of, I've never been there, but it looks like the kind of place that like, now that like we've been a, like a civilized world for a while, that you could sit with a pen and be like, okay, if you could build a place, what would it have? <laughs> you know, yep. it would have palm tree lakes and it would have, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's very well thought out as far as the development of the city. And you take your kids, how old are your kids now? Uh, they just turned five in June. Five, and you just travel around with your, you just, the Whitwers roll together. Yeah, we have some pretty cool videos of our kids dressed up uh, as they do in the Middle East. And, uh, you know, people love them. It was, it was great, just experiences that they'll love forever. Or every time my kid draws a picture, he uh, draws a picture of Burj Khalifa. It that's, doesn't matter what it is. That's crazy. I promise you my kids are not drawing pictures of Burj Khalifa, nor is their dad, as he does not know what that is. I went to Dubai on our way to Thailand, Thai, and I stopped there for like four days. And it's it really is such an incredible city. And anyone that's listening for sure should get to Dubai if you can. It's did you go to the did you go to the restaurant with the guy that does the the salt off the elbow? I did not go there, no. I think that's like saying like, oh, you're from America. Do you know Adam? Like, uh, no, no that's a fa- it's a famous <laughs> restaurant in Dubai. Like a lot of people go there it would not be uncommon if you went there. But um, but yeah, Dubai is a rad spot. Well, that's great. Hey, Wyler, that's why don't you crazy. give us for the guys that don't know you, give us kind of a, a, a brief overview of your career in history. How'd you get into direct sales and take us through your path real quick um, up until now? Yeah, sure. So I uh, grew up in Wyoming. I, I don't know if anyone else in um, Vivint works or has come from Wyoming, but hit Weiler uh, with the text my, if you're listening and you're from Wyoming. Mm-hmm. You guys need we to form a tight East Coast circle. From Wyoming. Yeah, we got Darcy yeah, Barris. He's five, four, uh, almost 500 installs. He's a Wyoming boy. I didn't know he's from Wyoming. Usually, from when you're, when you're from Wyoming, you kind of keep that to yourself until. Uh, there's a circle of trust. <laughs> it comes out later. <laughs> Grew up in Wyoming, uh, served uh, an LDS mission, uh, as many on the show have done. Um, I was about three weeks from coming home. I had friends that were saying, hey, come work in the oil fields. I can make really good money. And I had my brother that shot me an email and said, hey, one of my mission companions uh, is telling me that I should go sell security. Uh, they're going to Albuquerque. Sounds like it's a decent gig. What do you want to do? And for me, I didn't really want to get back into the old crowd of uh, my Wyoming friends. And I kind of knew that if I was going to be stuck in Wyoming, I was really going to be stuck in Wyoming. Because most of my friends, if you're there after high school, you don't leave. 
You got like a uh, small window. So yeah, a small window to get out. And for me, it was an email from my brother saying he was going to sell security. So uh, I got home. I was home for about seven days. And then I uh, jumped in my brother's car and rode to New Mexico. Where'd you go on your mission? I went to Monterey, Mexico. So you were working and knocking doors for two years in Mexico, got back to Wyoming, saw the window closing and shot out to New Mexico. Yeah, one thing in my mission, I actually loved knocking doors. It was uh, it was my favorite thing to do actually. So when I came back, it was kind of an extension of me being able to continue to do that. And New Mexico, I assumed that there was lots of uh, Hispanic people, which certain pockets there is. So allowed me to continue to practice Spanish and I guess sharpen my cell skills that I didn't know I was using on my mission. <laughs> so that year was, what year was that in New Mexico? Uh, 2006. Okay. So then where did you go from there? Uh, so from there, um, I ended up, I mean, nine years selling security. Um, so pretty much all over the place. I did an extension that year in Puerto Rico, just cause I thought it would be kind of cool. Um, I had never been on the plane until I flew down to Mexico. Uh, so that was, I was like a little kid in a candy shop when I was on that, that plane ride. Everyone probably thought I was crazy. Just testing out all the things, opening all the yeah. stuff. What does this do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was taking pictures of like every cloud possible. Yeah. <laughs> so many cloud picks. But you sold, you sold in New Mexico. You sold in Alaska. You were one of the first teams to be in Alaska. You sold in Puerto Rico. I mean, you really like this job for you has really been like a, a broadening of horizons and like a, a cultural experience as in addition to the the career opportunity yeah yeah absolutely it's it's kind of where i got my um hunger for travel and being able to see different places uh i mean puerto rico is a really cool place to be um it, alaska was amazing my, my wife didn't really enjoy it because it rained six out of seven days that you were there but uh i loved it i thought it was a great place people were really unique there um that was probably my best funded uh, year. Then we went to Missouri, um, Washington, D.C., Chicago, California, Connecticut, um, and then eventually uh, took us to New Zealand, which uh, that's what I studied. My undergrad was inter international business, so that was kind of an opportunity for me to uh, fulfill kind of a dream of running a business internationally. So talk about how that opportunity came about because it's really rare in direct sales. We've talked about going international multiple different times. I actually did a trip over to England to do some scouting and we recruited some people over, but we didn't open a branch there. So talk about how that opportunity came about and what it was like to take some of our direct sales culture and American business culture and go over to New Zealand? I'm sure that's a really big question, but I'm really interested in that experience. Yeah, um, I, it was a couple of years years kind of uh, laid out there for us. Hey, this is something that they're going to do. It was one of those things you didn't know if they were actually ever going to pull the trigger on. Um, but yeah, after my second summer in DC, it was kind of uh, a green light. Hey, we were ready to go. They had applied for visas. Uh, we got visa approval. Uh, we were having meetings uh, with a local in New Zealand that was kind of helping set up the warehouse. Um, just kind of the logistics of getting everyone out there and where everyone was going to be. And then, uh, yeah, we uh, sold both of our vehicles, rented our house out, um, sold pretty much everything we had. And then I flew out. I was out there for about three or four weeks, uh, which was pretty much a disaster, actually, because when we got out there, 
uh, all of the equipment uh, was on a frequency that in New Zealand was the military frequency. So we couldn't actually sell anything. It's stuff like that, right? Like you just don't even mm-hmm. think about, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then they were, you know, buying equipment in China, shipping it to the U.S. and then shipping it back. And then it would get stuck in uh, New Zealand customs, uh, which a lot of us, when we went to New Zealand, kind of found out how uh, New Zealand's pretty strict with their customs and, you know, making sure that they're not bringing anything into the country that they don't want. Living in another country like that, working full time, what what were some of the differences between selling in New Zealand versus selling anywhere in the States? Um, so <laughs> for me, it was actually pretty cool because one thing that I wanted to do is uh, there was kind of a stigma of if you were a, an alarm sales guy that lived in Utah, um, you know, people are automatically formed opinions of, of who you were and what type of person. So in New Zealand, for me, going over there was kind of a, a reboot. Um, it was the first time probably in the nine years that I had, uh, well, I guess seven years at that point, um, where I had actually dedicated and said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is my career. Um, you know, I had graduated and been out of school for a couple of years and uh, looked at getting jobs and gone through similar things of other people where, you know, you get a job offer for $55,000, $60,000 and you're like, you kidding me? So uh, going over to New Zealand, we ran it more like a business. So um, we actually did interviews because it wasn't a, a summer job anymore. It was, hey, we're working all year round. Um, so it was a lot of kind of structuring what works, uh, you know, how we can fit the schedule in where it's not you know, a a six hour or sorry, a six day week where you're working, you know, nine, 10 hours a day. Uh, So that really actually helped me probably for uh, doing solar and trying to find kind of a balance of uh, life and work. So you're out there, you're out there for two years, right? Was it two years that you were in New Zealand? Yep. Two years. And what, what part of New Zealand were you in? Because my view of New Zealand is probably different. We went to Queenstown, right? And so every day you're waking up and bungee jumping and river boating and hunting. And I mean, literally New Zealand to me is like, it's like the adults like- Adventure. Yeah, it's just like the adventure capital of the world. It's Mm -hmm. just a playground, you know? We're drinking out of the fresh like stream and stuff like that. Uh, So that's my view of New Zealand. Is yours close? Uh, Actually, (laughs) the North Island is um, obviously a lot more people and that's kind of where the the hub of business is at. Um, We lived on the North Shore, so just across the bay from downtown Auckland. Uh, w- one thing that was amazing with that place is that when we lived there, we had the first place was like a, an extended stay hotel. So that was a little rough, but it had an awesome view of the ocean. And then later on, we moved down right. I mean, we were two blocks from the beach. Um, and it was just, it, it felt like I was living a dream because one, we were in a country that didn't really know a door-to-door approach. So knocking on someone's door and selling them security was a piece of cake. The hardest part was trying to understand uh, British English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I just think so few people will have, well, I don't know, maybe in the coming years, more people will have that experience. But I always thought, you know, I didn't know you very well then other than the leaderboards. And that's one of the things that, that you're credited with, um, not just in my eyes, is when you look at your path, you've kind of dotted the globe, you know, span the US from like Alaska all the way out to, you know, the Midwest. 
and then Puerto Rico and then New Zealand, but you've performed, and then, you know, in a loan market in solar, uh, you've performed at the very highest level in every single place that you've been. You're not one of those guys that needs a specific market in order to perform really well. You're like, you're, you're, a, you're a tradesman, right? You're, you're tried and true in, in a way that most people aren't. So is that something that you take seriously, like kind of like the art of being able to sell? Because it's one thing if you can be lucky, it's one thing if you can only sell in DC or Texas or Mississippi or whatever, but is that something that you consciously work on and, and, and take pride in? Because it looks like you do. Yeah, so uh, it kind of takes me back a few years. I think when I was in New Mexico, it was a new market. So it seemed like it was like I didn't have the typical story of I struggled at, uh, at the beginning and then gradually got better. Um, I actually started pretty good. I think I sold four or five my first week. Um, and then from there, just kind of gradually became more and more consistent. Um, but when I was in uh, and, and I'll get credit where credit's due too. So the year that I learned the most about kind of opening, I guess my possibilities of what's doable in this job was in 2009. I got teamed up with Devin Arp, which everyone knows Devin Arp's kind of uh, a legend uh, in every aspect. And so that summer I learned a lot about, you know, how managing looks, how, you know, work ethic uh, should be. Um, and then from there, I, I went off the next year and opened up Juno, which we had never been in Juno, Alaska. So uh, we were a, I don't know, thirty-five man team. Uh, five of us went down to Juno, and I kind of ran that crew. And I remember when I showed up, me and my wife drove through Juno, which took about five minutes. <laughs> so for me, I was a little nervous, and it was the first time that I'd been somewhere where the population was, it's like 25, 30,000 people in Juneau. It's not very big. And I just thought, how am I going to be here for the whole summer? And the first day that I went out, um, I had an okay day. I think I sold two that day. But then my second day, I didn't sell anything. And I came home. I told my wife, I was like, hey, I don't know if this is something that I'm going to be able to do. And my wife's uh, I mean, I married up for sure with my wife. So uh, she literally told me, hey, it's the second day. Like, you're good at this job. You've done this. It was my fourth year, I think, that year. And uh, just kind of got me excited again about going out. And the next day I struggled again. I came home. And it, it was like the one time in life where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And uh, anyway, we had to talk again and my wife's always been kind of the backbone of, of me committing to something and staying to it. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't have another day that whole summer that I didn't sell at least one. Um, and from there, I just kind of created the culture within myself of doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, we knocked that city three times. And I'd, I mean, I'd go in after guys on my team that just left there three weeks ago. Um, you know, and I'd have a 20 account week that week. And so I just kind of determined, or I just kind of made the decision at that point that doesn't matter where you're at, you can always find someone to sell. Isn't it so fickle how confidence can be on the doors too, though? I mean, like you'd done that for four years and all of a sudden you're two days in and your entire like being is rattled. You know what I mean? You're just like, I don't even know if it's possible to sell one of these things anymore. You know, like you're just like in this 
market, new market in your entire world is in your mind, like starting to unravel on you. And then all it takes is one door in like your back, you know, how do you snap out of that? You know, a lot of our reps obviously go through these peak peaks and valleys, like over the, all the years that you've sold, anytime you've gotten in a kind of a funk like that, is, do you have any tricks or anything that you do to like snap out of those funks that you get in sometimes? I think now I do, but I think at the beginning, uh, the problem that guys have is that when you go through it the first couple of times, you start doubting yourself. And so the only thing you really can do is just say, Hey, look, these are the hours that I'm supposed to work. Uh, this is what's been proven as true. And then from there, just stick to it rather than, you know, nowadays I feel like if I have a day where it's a down day, I know it's kind of a fluke, but it's because I've gone through kind of the trial of error of actually learning that it is kind of a fluke and not something that I'm actually convincing myself that I can't do. Right. I have a ton of respect for guys that go into markets like a Colorado that is a loan only market. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I, you, when you're rattling off everywhere you've sold home security systems, I actually don't think, and I, I've been, Ty and I both been doing this for a long time. I think you have sold all the places you've sold. I've never sold alarms in any of those markets. So it was kind of interesting to hear you talk about Alaska and New Mexico and all these other areas. But one thing I'd always heard about Alaska is that it almost like ruins you as a door to door rep because guys go there and just crush. And then the next year they go somewhere else and it's just not Alaska. Right. And so, um, but then you went to Colorado to a market that is a loan only market. And not only have you done really well, you have thrived in that market. So you're in a market where I would say it's the opposite of an Alaska in the solar world. And so maybe talk about that stigma of the selling in Alaska versus, you know, that transition to a loan only market where you really just had to adapt to and have the mentality mostly of just like, I'm going to make this work no matter what. Sure. So uh, actually the year that I left Alaska was probably my best year. I just had, uh, I didn't fund as many, which is in Missouri, which I don't know if too many people would uh, like selling in that state. But and I, um, I had the exact same yeah, experience, just so you know. I, I sold in Missouri. I actually liked selling there, but the funding in the Midwest is different. You just lose a lot of accounts. You know, yeah, I had, I think, like, yeah, I had a lot of counts that, that year that did fun, but, um, but yeah, as far as opening up Colorado, uh, and we can get into this as well. So, I actually left the door to door, uh, for about three years and, uh, pursued other things. And so, when you know, I came back, uh, to Vivint Solar, or I guess starting at Vivint Solar, uh, it was kind of like, I, I don't know, I didn't know anything else. So I just went into it and I said, hey, look, I can sell. And I remember going on the doors with Ty for the first day. And uh, Ty told me, he's like, I know it's in there. It was terrible. Like we were doing door approaches and I hadn't done a door approach in four years, even though I had done it for nine years straight. It was almost like teaching a kid how to ride a bike again. Teaching a kid how to ride a bike again after like a terrible accident or something. No, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Wait, so where was the, what was the, where was the gap? Well, I, I feel like I missed it. Where was the gap between the four years that you hadn't done a door approach? Yeah. So I, uh, after New Zealand, 
keep in mind that for me, New Zealand was an end all. I wasn't planning on leaving. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of promised at the beginning that I was going to be in Australia and I was going to have Queensland as my area. And so for me, that was my goal. And then corporate changed their focus on what they wanted to do and they ended up selling off. So for me, we moved back uh, actually early before they actually um, announced the selling of, uh, you know, the event to a competitor. Um, and when I came back, we ended up, my wife got pregnant. Um, we found out that, you know, we were having twins and it was, you know, kind of a high risk, high risk pregnancy. So at that point, I, you know, I had a friend that I reached out to just to kind of catch up. And he had told me that he just started a new uh, career in education software and his brother had been doing it for three or four years and that you can make really good money. And I was like, well, when you say really good money, what does that mean? Because, you know, for a lot of people, it's a different perspective. And anyway, so I went in and uh, ended up uh, applying for the job. And uh, I think I had enough people that kind of knew me from the alarms that uh, they were able to talk to the people that were higher ups. And uh, I ended up getting the job, which took me to Colorado. And that's where we moved out here. You know, we had our twins and then I did that job for three years. And I think every year uh, Ty would reach out to me every three or four months. And uh, finally, you know, they opened up Colorado and I said, I'm in, kind of. There was a, yeah, kind of. There was a, there was a chapter of my life, if we were to have like a, like a, like a independent comedy or something like that called Recruiting Weiler. And it was like, <laughs> he's just, you're so good. And I always like enjoyed working with you, but we never worked directly. Kind of like knew of each other, we're close to each other. And then, you know, we we're in the same region once and kind of got a glimpse of it, but he's just so good. And so when it was like, hey, we're going to go into Colorado, we want to open Colorado. I was like, Weiler's in Colorado. But it was, it was an interesting recruiting lesson for me too, because the first couple of times, Weiler, that we talked, it just wasn't the right time. And I knew that and you knew that. Like, and it was, hey, do you want to move and go to one of these other markets? And no, we really want to be in Colorado. And that, that was right for his family. And so I remember thinking, all right, like, this is a small world and time is short in direct sales. But then we came into Colorado and it was like, I'd reach out and still the time kind of wasn't right until it was. And when the time was right, it was relatively easy, right? Like it worked for you, it worked for the business and the opportunity kind of lined up to just, to just be there for you. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I learned a lot about not forcing a situation through that experience. And I think for me at the time, that's what helped because, uh, you know, I was in conversations with Dave Matson too, and, and Dave was very convincing. And, you know, we had conversations, me and my wife, about moving there, you know, and in hindsight, maybe that would have been a, a better decision, but uh, it wasn't the right time. And it did take some time for us to kind of come around to, all right, this is what we want to do. Well, it's really interesting with recruiting. And I, it's because I've had similar experiences where you keep in contact with somebody. And a lot of times it's just bad timing for people. And so I think for any of our leaders, especially if you're listening and you're thinking about friends that you have in other industries or people that you would never think would leave what they're doing right now and, you know, change their life. You just never know. And so it's always a good idea just to talk to them about it, you know, on occasion, you don't have to like bombard them with it all the time. But like, 
I, I'm always like, you, you always do these little temperature checks, like once every six months or once every three or four months, right? But, and the best recruiters do that. And I think the average recruiters will get told no one time from one friend and then they'll never ask again. So, um, but, you know, Weiler, as you've built Colorado, um, I mean, it's very much like opening your own little franchise, right? Like you open up your own little business there in Colorado. And you mentioned when you moved to New Zealand, you kind of had that entrepreneurial itch to kind of build something there. Has this scratched that itch for you? For sure. Uh, it's been it's been fun. I mean, we love Colorado. It's a great state. And man, I've met some... One thing that was really great about New Zealand was I made really good friends. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, hey, come in and come sell so that the office does good. It was hey, I really like you as a person. Let's go make great money together and let's have an experience. And in Colorado, it's been the same. Like there's guys on our team right now that like I enjoy going into work and it's fun to see them and it's fun to see their success. Even though outside of Colorado, you know, there's a, a thought that it's easier to sell. And I don't, I don't buy it. I mean, I feel like it's the same it's the same job everywhere. You know, it's uh, yeah, we do a loan instead of a PPA or a lease, uh, but it's the same process. We're knocking on people's doors. Uh, it doesn't change, you know, and I think it's a great opportunity for the guys that live here and it's been fun to build it. So yes, it has uh, scratched that entrepreneur itch. That's one of the things that I was going to comment because, um, and I'm actually interested in kind of like your managerial advice here because a lot of people would say, Hey, you don't want to be that, that close you know, you don't want to be too overly friendly and comfortable with the people that you work with because, you know, you have to be kind of the leader at all times. And then there's other people that says, hey, you know, influences relationships and, you know, the, the closer and more authentic you are, the easier it is to lead. But when I think of your group, um, first of all, the impact, right? Like you coming in, like I remember when, when we first talked about starting the team there, you brought up Brian Matthews. It was like the first person you brought up. Hey, I know somebody. I know him from alarms. Um, I want to bring him in. And honestly, like since then, you guys have been pretty much when I see you, I see Brian. But then I look at the score. We just promoted Brian. He's a DM now. And when I look at the scoreboard, he's producing now, right? And then I see, you know, I see Jeff. I see Vasso. I see Neil. I see these guys that are starting to produce. But you guys have a pretty tight-knit group there. Like you seem to be friends. You seem to be together. So maybe... Talk about that line and what your opinion is on it. Or do you even think about that at all? Um, I, I don't think I necessarily think that there's a line. I, I think my management style is, is definitely more, hey, if I can do it, everyone can do it. And let me show you how. So just, just trust me for a little bit. And so we have a pretty cool culture in our office right now. It's it's, uh, it's a little funky, but you know we, we're in this right now where everyone's trying to do these uh, physical tasks um, and then still having energy. It always, it always uh, goes to that, right? You always get a big group of guys together and some contest emerges. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's, it's been great, you know? Like, I mean, I started with MJ going to the gym at six in the morning and, you know, I mean, the guy lifts three times as much as I do, but it was just the commitment. It was the, hey, I don't, I don't want to let him down that I'm not there in the morning. And for him, it was probably the same thing. And so it was, it was a really good thing going on. And uh, I feel like that's how it is with our whole office. Like I feel like 
after our meetings, it's the time where everyone kind of gets together and chats and, you know, everyone feels good about being able to talk about things openly. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I don't think I necessarily think about it as drawing a line of, hey, I'm too close of a friend. Uh, but I do feel like even with my close friends, I'll have the conversation of, hey, you, you need to do better. And it's not because I'm not your friend. It's because I also want you to be successful in your in your job. I think a lot of our DMs have this issue where they're friends with their reps or they've recruited their best friends or their friend network to come and work with us. And then they find themselves in a leadership role managing their friends. And there's times where they have to have hard conversations with their friends. So how do you, how do you find that distinction between manager, leader, and friend? And how do you navigate it? I, I think it's just being authentic. If you're not, I, I mean, if you're trying to be a leader and that changes your friendship, then you probably weren't friends in the first place. And if you're in the position to be a leader, it's because you're doing things that people uh, are inspired by, that they want you to be their leader. Like, I don't feel like anyone on my team would feel like I'm not in the position that I'm in because I didn't earn it. Like, I feel like they all know that, you know, I've earned it. I've put the time in and I'm more than happy to help out and share everything that I do know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like there's, I guess, a, a, a drawn line of, you know, a leader and a friend. I think that those can kind of blur occasionally. And same thing with Ty. Like I've told him, sometimes it's just, I want to be told the truth. Like, that's not going to change how I feel about you as a friend. I just want to be told the truth. I want it to be direct. Uh, and so I feel like that's the same for me. Like, if I'm telling my friend that he's doing a great job when he's not, I'm probably not a very good friend. I actually really appreciate that about working with you. Like, now that we have a couple thousand people listening, I'll be honest with you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Weiler always says, he's like, hey, tell me straight. And then he'll ask me a question. And then I'll always, I, I just really appreciate the ability to speak very directly and um, when I look at like experiences and stuff like that, we've been in really cool experiences together from when I got super allergetic at the rodeo. You remember? <laughs> Weiler won this big incentive and we went to the rodeo and I was like, you know, my parents are like farmers and stuff. Like that's what they, you know, that's what they grew up doing. And we went to a rodeo dude and my allergies were so bad. I had to go in the hallway and like flush out my, <laughs> I'm a bad cowboy dude. <laughs> um, but hey, I want to talk about one thing because you're, you, you have earned it and your name is attached with such like excellence in sales. And I hope you don't mind this question, but uh, you know, when we were starting the market, it was a lot. And I remember coming in there and saying, okay, these are all the different tasks and this is everything you'll have to do. And there was still probably some freshness from the New Zealand, um, just, just not even strategy shift, just disappointment. I mean, you thought it was going to be one thing and it was another. And we started the market and I came home and you almost quit, right? You almost were feeling like, man. And I, I think that this is important to talk about because I think a lot of leaders, especially when they first get ambitious and they decide to take this on, they're really quickly thereafter hit with the resistance or the reality that this is going to be freaking hard. So maybe talk about what you went through with that time and how you were able to pull yourself out of it. Because I don't feel like I was that instrumental in pulling you out of it. I feel like you kind of walked that path on your own. Sure. So um, some context of what I was doing before would probably help. Uh, the job that I was doing before was making pretty good money. And it was a pretty chill job. I mean, I was working with school districts. So I was done pretty much every day by like 3, 3.30. It was the first time in... 
10 years that I had been home in the afternoons and on weekends, uh, you know, it was a salary plus commission. It was, you know, the insurance, all the stuff that you're kind of taught growing up that this is what's important. However, when I started with Vivint, I could see the potential. And one thing that I very much live by is I believe in experiences now, not, you know, making money and commitments and, you know, not being around so that I can at some future date uh, retire and, and lift the dream because I don't think that is the dream. So when I started this job, I was, I don't know, a week in, two weeks in. I think you'd been there for a week and then I put in another week. And I just told my wife, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could go back and get my other job. Uh, I was pretty good at it. And I called Ty and I said, hey, I'm done. Sorry, man. And I felt terrible and I felt like, hey, you know, sorry. And I, I apologized. I said, hey, you know, sorry for trusting in me, but it's not going to work out. You know, I just, I don't want to go down this path again. And uh, one thing that, you know, I appreciate with Ty is that he's not, he doesn't get emotional. I think most leaders get emotional about things. And, you know, he easily could have said, uh, are you kidding me? I've put my name on the line to open up this market and have you be the person that's here. But he didn't, you know, he just tried to figure out what was going on. Um, and anyway, eventually, you know, he put me in contact with a couple of people, which were very, very helpful. Sterling uh, Hills was one, Adam Cox was the other. Um, and I called both of them and asked them, you know, kind of what their experience has been. And, uh, I think Sterling gave me more of the answer of, hey, like, this is what you got to do. And Adam Cox gave me more of the answer that I didn't expect, which was, hey, go at your own pace, you know, do what you need to do, but this job has given me freedom. And so that kind of struck a chord with me of, that's what I want. Like, I want the ability to earn really, really good money, but not at the expense of not seeing my kids, of not seeing my wife. Um, and ultimately I came home, talked to my wife and my wife said, and she's always the one that kind of pulls me back to reality and, and more or less said, are you kidding me? You said that you were going to do this and you're committed to it. Put six months in full board. And then I said, all right. So I called Ty back and I said, all right, you know, and, uh, Ever since, and that was a better Russia, call than the which, first call. I appreciated that second call a lot more. I liked that call. I was panicked well, at the first. You notice, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I mean, knowing how much goes into opening a new market or whatever, I'm sure Ty was on the inside. May have appeared calm on the outside. I was on talking to my wife, was, being like, "Maybe this isn't going to work out for us. Maybe we should maybe, go sell <laughs> Ty, educational Ty services with Weiler." <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I find this is pretty common with guys that have done home security sales because they're so used to that 100-day, 100-yard dash. And, and then when they come to solar, you have to kind of, you know, we always use this cliche, but it's like the running the marathon pace. You know, you can still run it fast, but you do have to like almost force yourself to gear down a little bit to you know create a steady pace that works for you 
Um, and then I think we have guys that come work for the company that they've never done the the 100 day alarm sprint. And we have to like teach them the opposite. Like, Hey, this is a marathon, but it's a fast marathon. Like we need you to run fast, you know, during the race as well. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting that that was, that was the advice that really resonated with you was like, Hey, like, I think you need to gear down a little bit to make this work for you, you know? And you probably just were like in that, like thoroughbred, I only know how to sprint mode. For, for sure. And when I started, it was, it was that it was like, Hey, what's the top guys doing? Uh, I should be doing this day one. And I remember I was creating a bunch of accounts and I didn't really have anyone. I mean, I saw Ty create accounts, but I hadn't really seen anyone close an account, which in a low market, that's, that's the hard part. Right. So it was just a lot of my own, uh, trial and error. And I'd call Ty and I'd ask him, Hey, you know, what do you do here? Um, you know, and, you know, Brandon Holmes, the director at the time, you know, he was helpful as well because, you know, he'd take those phone calls and, uh, you know, so I kind of merged my thoughts with ties with Brandon's and eventually figured it out. And it's been a long road. I mean, it hasn't been, hasn't been quick by any means because that was the first step, but then it was, how do I teach this to other people? Well, and let's talk about, let's talk about the 2020 road, shall we? Because I, I think of like, I think of like the memes, you know, like you see the memes where it's like 2020 be like, and it's someone like going off a rope swing that looks so fun and then they slip and then they hit the cliff and then they roll down and then they land in two inches of water. <laughs> but your 2020 has been, they don't bit. realize, they don't realize how much strength it takes to hold on to yeah. a swinging rope. They swing out and just, ah, <laughs> they're the best. Yeah. <laughs> they're the best. Um, but your 2020 was crazy. So, I mean, we went out to New Zealand, you brought your brother. And Weiler's a bit of an adrenaline junkie anyway. So, you know, you go mountain biking, rupture your spleen, uh, has internal bleeding, has to stay in New Zealand because he can't fly because they're worried that if he gets in the air that he could die, right? So he has to stay behind. That caused him to misfranchise by like a couple installs. And honestly, like, I appreciate the league and they don't really adjust based on it, but if anybody could have used an exception at that time, the times he sold, you absolutely were franchise material, but you had an injury where the doctors wouldn't let him fly, right? Then we had COVID, right? With a fresh, like Hold kind on, of a new Ty, team. Was this the, wh- who was the guy that got hurt on the on the race car track? I don't know. This was the down, this I was think downhill. Was Sterling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sterling, oh, Sterling got hurt. The West Coast showed up hey, hard I'm in New saying, Zealand, man. Yeah, I mean, we went... <laughs> four days with no in- maybe we just weren't trying hard enough because you guys went like stir got injured in the first three hours Weiler got while i had to stay behind i'm like all right we need to go a little bit harder on these trips bro. hey well here's the theme right you get a bunch of people together and it becomes a weird contest like let's race down this hill in this foreign country but and, and then anyway so then we go into covid and you know you guys are doing your calls and things like that and switching this group to to over the phones but the crazy thing is now your team, I mean, it's July, your team is as strong as it's ever been, right? You guys are leading Southwest, you're getting triple wins, you're closing, you know, 25 welcome calls a week right now, and you're jamming. So talk about how the year started and maybe some of your mentality and how you transitioned that into such a successful continuation of the year. Because when I look at teams I'm most excited about to finish the year, Denver ranks among the top three. 
just because of all that you guys are creating, the amount of people closing, the amount of people uh, being promoted and leading, and the strength of your group, but the start of it was rough. Yeah, so I'll clarify one thing. I didn't miss it because of the spleen, because as soon as I got back, I was working. Uh, <laughs> Just drop the spleen and keep going. <laughs> Take this thing out. Does a spleen cause a limp or anything? Like what, were there any visible signs on the doors that you had a ruptured spleen? Uh, it was, so I broke a rib. So that was probably uh, the visual of me not doing very well. So uh, that was what was painful was the rib, the, the spleen. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, I think it was just the spleen. I, I probably would have never went to the hospital. So, but the rib was what hurt pretty bad. So, um, but yeah, so anyways. Have you ever seen the sports center commercials when the, the they show the, the commercial where the anchors play through pain, like the best anchors play through pain. They get like paper cuts and stuff, but they just keep doing I the commercial. I've seen those. Like I, I feel like that was Weiler. Like he was like trying to do a welcome call and he's like, you know, just like giving him the phone, like as he has a broken rib, just, still injury. just like playing through the pain, man. Yeah, sales injuries. Yeah, no excuses, sure. man. Next time somebody gives me an excuse, I'm going to be like, Weiler was playing through a broken spleen and a rib. Like, give me a break. Yeah, it was, uh, I, and it was funny because when I got back from New Zealand, uh, I mean, it had been nine days, I think, since it happened. And I, when I stayed over in New Zealand, my brother was still there and I was feeling a little bit better. So like we went on this hike that uh, we probably shouldn't have went on. And uh, then when I came back, uh, we went to the doctor because the broken rib, it gets better and then it gets really worse again at like day 12 or 13. And so I ended up going back to the hospital here because I was like, I wonder if something's wrong. Maybe I should get this checked out. And the doctor was like, uh, you shouldn't be doing anything. And, you know, I, I kept that more or less for my wife and said, never oh, mind, like a, never mind, like a waterfall hike to like the ruins of New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, 2020 is, uh, I think it's been a crazy year for everyone, but uh, for me, it was a slow start because December, that's when we kind of went on our trip. And so we came back and then New Zealand was kind of in the middle of quarter one or towards the end of quarter one. And yeah, I, I missed it by two installs. Uh, and what was worse was I had the installs and both of them canceled. And I was like, oh. uh, but anyway, I mean, it is what it is. You know, you, you do what you can, you do it the best that you can. And uh, what the result is, is, is ultimately what you put in. So it was my own fault at the end of the day, but, uh, yeah, COVID hit, um, which man, maybe it's being from Wyoming, but the whole COVID thing's been, and I try to be sensitive about it because I know it's a, uh, a touchy subject for some Dude, people. Wyoming Weiler's about to come out, really everybody. Difficult. Wyoming Weiler is about to come out. <laughs> Let it fly. Yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. We've been waiting for it to come out and we're about to get it. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, you know, I mean, I, I just put my head down and, um, you know, luckily was able to get back to franchise that next quarter. And then, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll hit it, uh, this quarter in another couple of weeks. Well, you're number one, you're ranked number one amongst the group, but it's been cool to see the team follow your lead, right? Like your attitude on it is, you know, control what you can control. And, and, but you guys have been through a lot. I mean, you went through a merged team out there and a lot of people coming into your culture and you guys have done a phenomenal job. Um, maybe 
uh, final thoughts before we um, close out. I've always been impressed at your ability. You know, I like your, your theme of experience now. I think that's a typical, I, I wonder if that's just an American thing too, like where it's like, hey, I'm gonna work my guts out and sacrifice my life and health and relationships and then someday I'm gonna relax and then someday it never comes. Um, but talk about your future why, like what you ultimately are doing this job to do. Uh, so kind of, kind of a, a personal side actually, um, and who knows if my parents will ever listen to this, probably not, but um, I mean, my dad was a minor for 30 plus years. Uh, Every day, you know, went, I don't know, a quarter mile underground. Um, when we turned 18, that was kind of the birthday present was to go and follow my dad around uh, for a night, you know. And I remember doing that and it was, it was kind of a cool thing because, you know, I'm the youngest of six and it was like, great. But I also knew that's not what I wanted, you know, hence why, you know, I did schooling, um, you know, and now I'm a door-to-door salesperson, but, uh, my parents now they're 70. Uh, and I'm always like, Hey, you know, do you guys want to come visit? Do you guys want to do something? And, um, you know, I just found out a year ago that my mom has cancer and like days are limited, you know? And so I feel like the American dream of buckle down you know, stay at your job for 40 years. It's not like, it's not what I want. Like my goal is like, I want to be present with my kids today. Uh, I want to be present with my wife today um, because who knows how long you have. And when I'm 60, my kids are going to be going through things. And I hope that they also realize that now is the time to spend. Now is the prime of your life. Uh, not later. So that's, you know, that's why we try to do these trips where, you know, we take four year olds around the world into countries that most people don't think is safe, but it totally is. And that's, that's why I do this job is because I work really, really hard, but I also need that time where I can be present. And so it's a balance of, life it's balance of work and i think that's the hardest part of this job is determining where that balance is and what you're happy with and i'm still refining it and trying to make it better um but yeah that that's ultimately for me what my goal is um and our end goal is essentially to move back to new zealand and not you know have I, i'm i'm pretty frugal so you know we've We've uh, saved money, you know, when we made good money in alarms. Uh, you know, I did my master's in finance. So, uh, you know, I try to be smart with what I do uh, with the money. And ultimately, it's for us that we can move to New Zealand, which we feel is a better place to raise our kids and uh, give them life experiences where we can uh, travel together, uh, see things. Um, and give them more of a life education rather than a books education. Ty, I wanted to, I wanted to, um, while you said two things I wanted to touch on first, we had Jesse Itzler on a long time ago and he said something that you just reminded me of, which he was talking about visiting his parents, I believe. And he said something along the lines of my dad's in his sixties or seventies. He's going to hopefully live till he's in his mid eighties. We go visit him once a year in the summer or whatever. He's like, the way I look at it is I got 
like 10 to 15 more of these trips left. So he's like, you know, every time I go visit my dad or my parents, I want it to be the most incredible seven days we have because I only have 10 to 15 more of these like trips left, you know, until he's gone. So and it's a really unique and interesting way to look at it and kind of puts things in perspective. And then the second thing is I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Your dad was a miner, worked a quarter mile underground, and on your 18th birthday, as a birthday present, said, son, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go start this process of giving you the, the black lung. We're going to take you a quarter mile <laughs> underground. And then, uh, and now you're working in solar, which is the anti-coal, right? So, uh, yeah, just so want to make sure. My, my dad worked in, in uh, a Trona mine. Uh, so it wasn't a coal okay. mine, but nonetheless. What is Trona? What is that? Uh, Trona is what you make uh, glass out of baking soda. Uh, and w when I went to high school, uh, the mine that my dad worked at was the largest underground mine um, in the world. So it was the uh, size of San Francisco underground at the time. You're kidding me. Wow. And they work nights? Uh, my dad worked a rotating shift. So every uh, week he would, you know, so he'd either start at six in the morning, then the next week he'd go in at two o'clock in the afternoon. And the next week he would go in at 10 o'clock at night. Crazy. Suppose schedule. it doesn't really matter when you're a quarter mile underground, what time of day it is. So <laughs> it's, wow. yeah, it's always like 75, 80 degrees. So. Hey, but I, that's a pretty cool rite of passage that uh, you get to do when you're 18. Go with that on the old work trip. Yeah, it was something we all looked forward to, but I think it was my dad's way of uh, trying to push us to do something better. Oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. Well, Weiler, I appreciate you spending time with us, man. You have a lot of perspective and a lot of really interesting, unique takes on the job that have made you very successful. So I'm a big fan. I love watching you work. I love watching you guys build. Um, again, you're, you're one of the teams I want to watch most going into this year. And I'm super proud of you. And thank you for, for being on. And thank you for, for sharing with us today, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. All right. And this has been another episode of Electric People. Thank you for joining us. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.